The following is a free-flowing discussion I had with Terry on virtuous and vicious cycles. Now, if you haven't heard of these terms before, let me provide a quick rundown of the concept. Generally, these cycles refer to a chain of events that reinforce themselves through a feedback loop. So for example, suppose we look at a virtuous cycle involving innovation. Here we go. An innovative product generates cash flows that allow a company to fund new research and development, which then leads to more innovation. That new innovation generates more cash flow that again allows the company to fund new research and development, which then leads yet to more innovation. And round and round we go. This is obviously a virtuous cycle. This is obviously something you definitely want. But by contrast, a vicious cycle is the bad kind of feedback loop you don't want to get into. For example, let's take something that we can all relate to. Let's say you get distracted from the important work you need to get done. That might mean you check your emails, then hop on over to social media, do a couple of easy and insignificant chores, then back to emails and social media again, etc. Next thing you know, you get this feeling of not having enough time to do the important work. And so you get frustrated. That frustration then compels you to distract yourself again with all the insignificant stuff. And round and round you go. That's a vicious cycle. So as you may have guessed, there are both virtuous and vicious cycles when it comes to football. We can look at clubs as the subject of these cycles, or players, or coaches, or media, or any entity really. We've seen them and lived them, but we've never tried to crystallize them, let alone communicate them to the outside world. So, this episode is my first ever attempt in trying to communicate some of these things. Please be merciful, guys, because over time, I'll be working to sculpt these crude expressions into smooth and clear ones. My other hope here is that the episode serves to raise your antenna a bit to detect such cycles from your direct experiences with the football environment. That way, when you detect these things, if it's a vicious cycle that you're identifying, maybe you can intervene and do something about that, break that cycle. And if it's a virtuous one, well, you want more of that and you can figure out how to do it. All right, guys, here we go. And now a quick few second mentions of what sponsors this episode. It's the best way to support this podcast, but more important, greatly improve your current soccer situation. First, if you're a coach, you must check out 343coaching.com. There are both free and premium programs for you there. Second, if you're a parent of a youth player looking for how to best put them on a proper path, your solution is at 343masterclass.com. And third, if you'd consider going to a private school for academics, either in the States or in Europe, that also has an integrated soccer program, you should check out acceleratorschool.com. Critically important, these solutions for coaches, for parents, for players are offered from people who have actually done the work and have an unprecedented track record in the United States. All right. I hope you enjoy this episode. We're just scratching the surface here, folks, but it's an important starting point for us to further expand down the line. Let's Stop. try this cycle thing because I know the questions are going to work out, but let's try this and see where we might take it. I've got a couple of examples, housing, software app, and then I gave you some other abstracts from some articles I picked up on football. One was on the Manchester United team and the profit cycle as a business and how it relates. And I think that would be an interesting one to go over too, but the other ones are just reinforcers, uh, La Liga, same thing. And, and then a little bit of a French article. Um, but one thing that I want to make sure I don't forget is they have in their explanation of why the cycles are virtuous in these cases, they give a lot of credit to financial restrictions and stability. So they're saying that that is a good thing. And there is some truth to that for sure. The main thing is it's restricting the runaway debt that can doom organizations when it catches up to them. Just want you to keep in mind while we talk about that. Let's start with the software app. Everybody knows those. When you have this virtuous cycle, if you make something attractive to users, your number of users go up and that attractiveness transfers to application developers. And then there's availability of good apps to attract more users. And this is a virtuous cycle in the positive sense. Okay. And then housing, we'll, we'll do this one, just see if it survives the cut here. The virtuous cycle 
loosening of credit, households and businesses increase spending, asset prices rise and delinquencies decrease. The bank loses less money, therefore they loosen credit. And this is the virtuous cycle, positive things. The negative side, the credit tightens, then households and businesses reduce spending, then the house prices decline and delinquencies increase. Bank losses increase, they tighten credit, and this is a vicious cycle. Okay. So I'm going to pause there and see if you want to comment on either one of those. No, no direct comment on either one of those, uh, as I'm not an expert in them, but I, I definitely am fascinated by virtuous and vicious cycles. I don't know when I was first exposed to this, but I've been thinking about this for years as it relates to football, uh, not necessarily uh, just at the pro game, but at the youth game, because, well, let's be clear, we've been involved in the American youth soccer game for a very, very long time. Okay, before you, before you get there, let's, let's do a pro cycle of talking about Man U. They perform at a high level. More fans follow and engage with the team. The communication and broadcast partners pay to reach and service fans. The club's revenue rises, and then they're allowed now to pay and attract top talent. They perform at a higher level. More fans follow. And all this circles around increased profitability for the club. And it makes, makes sense, right? Yeah, no question about it. And then you can always break out of a virtuous cycle such as that. For instance, whoever has a controlling stake in the club, let's just call them an owner. And you just mentioned Manchester United. So maybe you have an owner that finds himself or herself in this virtuous cycle, and they may want to start skimming off the top, or they may want to, I don't know, siphoning the benefits of that virtuous cycle to other endeavors or for themselves or whatever. And you can easily pop out of that virtuous cycle because all of a sudden, maybe you, you deplete funds to maybe buy world-class players. And then all of a sudden next season, you aren't operating at, on the sporting side at the same level. And lo and behold, somebody else is, and they now jump on the treadmill that is virtuous and you have now diminished that. And it's harder for you to jump back in there without some added capital out of your pocket. So there's an interesting example. Obviously the virtuous cycle can't go on forever or there'd be no end and the team would never lose. And we know that doesn't happen. What are some other reasons that the cycle would break down just naturally? I can think of one, you overpay for your talent and it yeah. will perform I mean, well. I mean, every organization has to depend on also it's an internal competency. So if you hire poor people that are in charge of operating this business, they can start diminishing the positive feedback loop that is a virtuous cycle. Have a bad manager, for instance, you know, Arsene Wenger left Arsenal and many attribute his departure as maybe the primary reason for its decline over the years. Same thing with Mr. Alex Ferguson in Manchester United. After his departure, Manchester United was never the same. And it's very hard though, from the outside to really pinpoint what the cause and effects are. But those are kind of timely moments, uh, changes that were subsequent to that, the club starts going on a downward sort of spiral. Um, so the people you employ is very, very important in particular at the executive level, because a lot of people like to pinpoint at the head coach because they are the most visible front man for the organization. But the reality is somebody hired that head coach, somebody is, is a, allowing a certain amount of resources and freedom and power to that head coach or not. Yeah. They might tell the head coach you're hired, but this is our budget, you know, which is lower than before or, um, not give that head coach, that manager, as they're called at the pro level, ample powers to determine what their roster is going to be. So as many times the coach is not the one determining who gets sold and who gets brought on board. You have the, uh, behind the scenes bureaucrats determining who do we buy, who do we sell? And many a times those bureaucrats do not have the sporty capabilities to make those decisions. Number one. And sometimes maybe those bureaucrats do have sporty chops because maybe they were former players or coaches themselves or whatever, but they are not aligned with the vision and philosophy of the head coach. 
So they might be making decisions on rosters, play, you know, buying and selling the players whose qualities are not aligned with what the head coach's specialty is or what the head coach needs to implement their style of play. And that torpedoes the entire thing. This is one of the reasons that, at least to me, it's quite clear. Marcelo Bielsa has this reputation of either he gets full control or almost full control of a club or a national team, whatever, or he won't accept a position. And if he accepts a position under those pretenses and the club or the national team does a, did a bait and switch on him and all of a sudden he doesn't have full control, then he'll say, peace, I'm out, I quit. Such as he did uh, on a few occasions, at least two occasions, he's done that. And it was quite remarkable. I don't know if, I would just want to make this comment that the United States media, first off, never knew but who Marcelo Biesa was until maybe seven, 10 years ago. Uh, I'm giving them a lot of credit here with seven or 10 years ago, honestly. But there were, there were individuals in the mainstream American soccer media that when one of those incidents occurred and Marcelo Bielsa just walked away from his job and I forget the club, it just sucks that I forget the club. They kind of try to smear him like, oh, he, you know, he's not a man of his word. Um, what kind of a professional just does that, accepts the position and then a couple months later leaves. Maybe it was Lazio. I think it was in Italy. Um, Terry. I'll find and out. It, yeah. And it just goes to show just the total lack of context or the capability for context that uh, exists. Your memory's here, pretty good. I'll is it Lazio? Lazio in 2016. Mm. Yep. So you were correct. Maybe it was, maybe it was Lille also. How long was he at Lille for? A year. Okay. Or so less. So I think it was probably less. I, I, I might be recalling Lille instead of Lazio. Oh, no, I don't know. Honestly, I don't remember. But there were a couple of occasions where he's like, oh, I got the job. They switched it up on me. I quit. Oh, uh, that's, that's Lazio. He lasted like days. <laughs> there it and, is. But he, but he quit as the club manager. The contract was not what he expected. Mm. And then let's see how he did at Lille. Just check in here. And again, he wanted to bring in players and he just lasted 13 games. And the phrase on the wiki is that the sporting advisor, Luis Campos said after Bielsa left that he felt the decision to let some of the experienced players leave was the key to the departure. So it sounded more like Lazio was the switch that he realized. And, but kudos for the man, not caving and hold a principal, huh? No, it's, yeah. And that's what he's kind of known for globally, except here in American soccer. I wish we could just look up. I recall a tweet from a certain Grant Wall talking shit on Marcelo Biosa when the news came out that he had just up and left one of those two clubs. And it's just really sad because somebody with an audience like Grant Wall's, and I won't get into how that happened. For him to be so irresponsible and say things like that, that's what really irks me about the media here, Terry. And that's why I have an issue with them. Uh, you're correct. You know, you can type in Twitter, Grant Wall on, and Marcelo Bielsa comes up before you hit the M. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of examples. I'll make your list of humor you sometimes. Yeah, so we were talking about virtuous cycles and how one can break out of a virtuous cycle. And the people you hire is one key component. You could just torpedo a company with poor sure. people. Yeah. These, these clubs are complex organisms. They're not just the starting 11 players. It's the manager, the responsibilities of the coach, player personnel, person may be different all the way down to the nutritionist isn't doing a good job and the players are tired and they don't perform. I mean, a lot of things can take away the performance. And remember, these are Ferraris performing uh, at that level and it requires everything to go well to maintain that. Yeah, or at least a certain level of competency. I mean, I don't know if this will make the final edit, Terry, but if you look at the LA Galaxy, the LA Galaxy was the brand of Major League Soccer forever. And then as much as I don't think Bruce Arena is of the level that most people here make him out to be, credit to him 
for, for having so much success in our domestic league for whatever reason, and which I don't know all the reasons, but he had success. And the moment he left and leadership at the LA Galaxy was handed over to others, it was a downward spiral from there. They've never recovered from that point forward. Now the LA Galaxy brand is, I mean, I can't find the right words. Crap. They just missed out on the playoffs. Again, I think they missed out on the playoffs for the past five years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, How do you do that? Because the LA Galaxy, if we wanted to apply this virtuous cycle thing to any pro franchise or team in our country, it would certainly be them. You know, they're the most storied club. They're in the prime location. And look what's happened. Got a complete fall from grace. Well, these things can break. And when the cycle goes vicious, it's again, a negative feedback loop. And, and it's hard to pull up before you crash and burn, even though you're getting the warning from the autopilot, pull up, pull up. It's not so easy. You're dealing with human beings that can get irrational and frustrated and become stupid all of a sudden when they were smart just a little bit ago. And this can happen, not just with sports organizations, any organization you work for, it can happen. And the best organizations can pull out of those dives and they can also maintain the virtuous cycles as long as possible, but the entropy or chaos or whatever randomness bites it. And like I said, they can't go on forever or they would never lose. Tell us about the youth development. Okay. Uh, so many angles to take, and this certainly won't be our last episode on this. One is, let me, let me talk about maybe the player front, because I think people will be interested in that. I've mentioned in other episodes where so many factors come into play, whether a player ultimately becomes quote unquote successful and by successful, I'm defining it as reaching a very high playing level relative to your goals and where you're at. The highest, obviously, being a professional in Europe, say, uh, a step down from there, being a professional here domestically, a step down from that, maybe a college scholarship or playing Division One college soccer, a step down from that is uh, maybe you want to make your high school varsity team. That's an accomplishment, you know, relative to where you might be starting out as. Uh, another possibility is, hey, you start out as being on the bench for an average U14 team in an average league in the country and you go up and you ultimately become the starter of that team and an integral piece of that puzzle. I mean, that is, these are all positive things, right? You're going forward. Um, And they're impacted by a variety of factors. Since we're going to talk about virtuous and vicious cycles here, I'll afford a high level 10,000 foot level case. If you happen to be born let's say in Southern California, where I'm at, and you have the wherewithal, your family has the economic, socioeconomic wherewithal to put you at an early age at a mega club with a lot of prestige, uh, a lot of history behind it. Um, That already starts putting you on a positive track in general. I'm not talking about the exceptions because you can go to a small, mid, mid, a small team, have a great coach, have a great environment and skyrocket to the moon beyond this case. Okay. But I'm speaking in general here. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you are put on a potentially virtuous cycle because you're on a platform that is greater than the platform of others. And so if you happen to play and be a starter on this U10, U12, U13 team at a mega club with a lot of pedigree. Next thing you know, you're a known entity locally and regionally versus if you were on a smaller club or a smaller team. And that has added benefits. First off, it keeps you at the club you're currently at. It keeps you in, at least in the position that you're currently at. Maybe you're a starter on this team versus the other kid who might be better than you but he's on a mid to low level team and doesn't have that pedigree. And so they are stuck in that mid to low level team surrounded by lesser players, if I can say that. And so their technical, tactical development, mental development in football becomes compromised versus if they happen to have found themselves on the higher level team surrounded by better players on a better platform, then your development gets accelerated 
So if you look at these two tracks, these two fictitious players do an A-B test, as they call it in software development, the player who is on this virtuous path ends up going further than the other. Um, and you can project this all the way up to, say, you being U16, U17, U18. And next thing you know, if you got on this virtuous path, you're getting your college scholarship, or maybe you're getting recruited uh, to be a, become a professional, potentially professional. And the other kid either dropped out out of frustration or, or just did not develop at a good enough rate to continue being better than the other player. The other player ends up being better, Terry, you know, by the time they're 18 because of their environment, because of what they've done. And the other kid just got stuck in the tracks and is stuck in the mud. So that's kind of like one case at the youth level. Um, and it perpetuates because let's look at the case where of the, the kid in the mega club who had a socioeconomic means to, to be there in the first place. And they get a college scholarship, or let's say that he's, he's at an academy now and gets offered a pro contract. Then all of a sudden at 16, 17, he finds himself in a, on a pro team, maybe a USL team. And again, you are developing, you're getting better. And the other kid is stuck playing youth soccer with 15, 16, 17 year olds and doesn't get better. Even though that other kid might be superior to the one who got offered a pro contract. But over the course of time, the kid who got offered a contract and been in there forever is going to surpass the abilities of the other player who was better than that before. And on and on you go. You know, so a lot of these players who end up getting sold to Europe now in recent times from MLS over the past two years, because they wouldn't do that before then, they have had the fortune, but still credit to them for doing the work. But they also have had the fortune of being on a virtuous cycle for whatever reason. It's not that they were the best of the best throughout their youth trajectory. It's they were really good players who got put on this great cycle and it elevated them to where they are now. Yeah, I'll just add some detail to that. And I know you know it, you just didn't say it. Mm. The kids get uh, on a better team. They get a better coach. They get to practice on half a field instead of a fifth of a field. They can handle more tactical stuff earlier. They can work on the more complete game set pieces, et cetera. And you just, the divergence is just happening. And it's, you know, and then, uh, there was a study a while back and I'm blanking out his name, but you know, it, it's, it's, if you had a certain birth date, if you were in the, it got switched because we went to calendar year, but. Uh, if you were January through January, February, March, April, you were a little bit older, you got noticed and you got into this virtuous cycle just because your birth date was what it was. And there's some truth to that. You look at the, at the rosters and, uh, and I'm blanking on that study and you know, it. and what's his name? He's a great author. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. And he, he observed that and. It's true. I looked at my kids' peers and they're by and large that birth date. And then interesting, the tracking of the kids at the U8 to the U16, there's kids that drop out, but the, it's amazing how the ones at eight are still on the first, the best team at 16, the same club at the big club. I think there's also some stupid pressure too, to justify, you know, from the coach's point of view that I brought this guy, I, I, need, I need to keep him, And maybe that's another barrier of of entry. So, so what would you say to the parent of, or the, and or the player, but I guess at the youth level, you kind of have to advise the parent, say their kid, again, male or females in on the wrong cycle, but they're a good player. What do you do? I, I've been thinking about that problem for a long time. Um, it's tough to solve, man. It's tough to solve because, and people are going to hate hearing this, but since we don't have promotion and relegation, it makes things that much more difficult. Again, and I hate to beat that drum, but if there was promotion relegation, Terry, the mega clubs would have a first team, the, the youth only clubs would have a first team. MLS clubs would be susceptible to relegation and, and the market forces of promotion relegation period. And everybody would be incentivized to go out and find that kid that you're talking about and bring them into the virtuous cycle. 
And so maybe the incentive that you just finished describing about the coach, maybe having to justify having this kid or whatever, that kind of goes out the window as it does overseas. If the kid or if the player is not good enough, you're out and we'll go get somebody else from Ghana, from Algeria, from down the street, from South America. We are looking for the best. We don't care where you're at. If you're in Kansas, if you're in Nebraska, in one of the Dakotas, in the Carolinas, in Georgia, you, the probability, I'll put it this way, because there's still holes, right? There's still going to be cracks, but the probability of the scenario you described is ameliorated a bit. More kids would be found and put on the positive path and not be stuck in those situations. Now. Barring that aside, what do we do? What do I tell the parents? Shit, man. Well, first off, something that's non-negotiable is your kid is just going to have to continue lo hopefully loving the sport. So nurture, nurture that love so the kid doesn't abandon it. Um, and along with that, hard work is a non-negotiable. You have to continue working and probably have to work longer and harder than the kid that is on the virtuous path in order to give yourself a shot at serendipity sometime in the future. And what I mean by that is maybe your team encounters that academy team or that club team in a friendly or in competition or whatever. And since you put in the work for years, you might light it up in that game and the right person or whoever might be at that game, maybe the opposing coach, whatever. And says, you know what, Johnny right there, he took us to school. We need that kid here. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So those are the non-negotiables. Aside from that, oh Lord, I've been trying to solve this problem, Terry, at, at least in Gedanken experiments in my head, and then hopefully productize it somehow. Um, you, you got to try and find maybe a coach that is exceptional and remarkable. And in addition to that, has a considerable legitimate network, uh, the bigger, the better, you know, locally, regionally, nationally, internationally, such that the coach can accomplish two things for your kid. One is develop him on the football side. And then two, being able to elevate that player is through the network uh, at some point in the future that at this point, that's my recommendation. It would be great if we had some sort of LinkedIn for soccer specifically, whereby maybe you can do a coaching search and to try to find the right coach for your player, uh, and filter through parameters. I don't know how that's going to work, you know, um, but that coach has to have an extensive video library as part of his quote unquote LinkedIn profile that satisfies this service so that a parent can do considerable research and see, okay, is this coach just talking out of his ass on Twitter and saying, oh, I do this, I do that, I know this, I know that, blah, 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 and start talking all this jargon nonsense, or has this coach done real work? Um, and then go from there. I don't know, man. You, that's. I think you hit on something there that I can recall a situation here locally where you get kind of lucky in the sense that, uh, a talented coach just doesn't like the system of the virtuous cycle club, the big club, and they just leave and the opportunity to join that coach and the parents, you do a pretty good job of, of getting the word around. And then certainly there's sometimes there's results that, you know, make it easier, but I, I would recommend to parents find the coach that your kid fits in best with. And if it, you know, means you got to abandon your current club, you got to abandon your current club and do what's right for your potential. And, and you have to be willing to admit these limitations that you're talking about. The divergence is happening and the sooner you try and make corrective action for good, bad, or ugly. The worst thing you can do is stay put or stay pat and just, you know, not, not try and, and improve it. If you love it and you want to do that, if you just like to play, then 
stay where you are and be the star of the team. There's some, some good in that, you know, everyone likes to play and maybe they score a lot and, and they're the big man or big girl on the team. And it's, it's, it's okay. But if you're, if you're bent on finding your potential, you've got to be willing to take, you know, action and, and then there's other parents that are delusional about their kid's ability and they club hop like crazy, but got to give them credit. It's better than standing still, even if you're wrong. <laughs> and so, and then, you know, I'm, I'm doing something similar with my son. Uh, he's doing an end round by going to what I think is a, a better environment where he's in Spain and he's, you know, he was not going to make the team and he couldn't break in because we started off not with the big club. And I then got lucky and got a very good coach to help him, but we were still not at the big club. And without naming names, the coach also had a son who was not at the big club. Eventually we went to the big club and, and my son didn't make the, you know, the first team he did for a while and then he didn't, and he was not in favor. And I, I don't know why, but he was, he was behind uh, some of the kids that were better earlier. But what I did consciously was evaluate what I thought from my, you know, fairly limited, but getting better perspective on football is his improvement trajectory was still positive. The slope was positive and it was, a uh, he was getting better quickly and he still is. So I did this option of, of going over to Spain and glad I did wish I would have done it earlier. Although he went at 15 and I think that's probably as early as I want to recommend sending somebody over there, but his rate of improvement over there has been fantastic and much better than if I would have left him here. Even if he would have got that serendipitous trip onto the, the big club's first team, just not, not the same. And you know, I've told you about where, where they're playing and, and you, if you could play that every week, play that level and they're close, uh, to doing that over there, your rate of improvement is just going to be better. There's just no, no doubt about it. You get exposed to the professional environment you, you get exposed and you play and you get schooled and you get, take some experience and. So they got back from their trip and they just stomped on a local team, uh, which was good for them. They look good. They put the ball in the net. They, they scored goals, but now, uh, there's a trip coming up to, uh, Atletico Madrid in a few, in, uh, like 10 days. And they're going to get another indicator of where they stand on the global stage. But the question will be, and I'll report back, did they do better this year than last year? Right. And that's, I hope so. That's the path I'm taking with my son and I don't regret it other than I wish I could be there a little bit more, but it was on video again this week. So I got my fix. Very nice. Very nice. Sir. How, how did the game against PSG go? So they played, uh, PSG's B team a year younger mm -hmm. and it was, we couldn't score. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, uh. It was maybe the B with some probably kids that got some playing time that don't get playing time on the regular B team. So it's just, it's just the fact of life. You go player there, you're going to play. If you want it to be competitive, you got to play a year down and a letter down in the AB ranking. Yeah. Or, you know, like last year they played, uh, Atletico Madrid. I think there was mostly an A, A side and it was 90 minutes minus like 40 seconds cumulative in our half of the field. Yeah. Which is great for my son playing defense. He got, he got, uh, 17 games worth of experience in one game, one half, but, uh, it's just, so we, they did okay. They played another team. They played pretty well. It was competitive. Um, and so it was a team that you've never heard of and yeah. out in the Paris suburbs, but again, that exposure to, to get there and, and also to, uh, I talked to with Mariano about this on the U18s against uh, who did they play? They played, oh, they played Celta Vigo and it was a good, decent, competitive nil-nil contest for about 15 minutes. And then Celta Vigo scored on the next three attacks where they actually got shots off. And what was interesting was the mental collapse, you know, at that point of the, of our team and how long can you go mentally? So not just talent wise and, and skill level, but mentally, how long can you last? And this is what I saw a couple of years ago when they played, my son's team played at Barcelona and it was a pretty high level team. And you know, it was everything they could do to hang for 40 minutes and they couldn't hang that extra five, let up a goal, let up a goal in the first five minutes, of the second half. And then they caved mentally, you know, and then it was just limiting damage, but 
but that's also part of it. But if you don't get exposed to that, and not only are the kids over there playing those kind of games frequently, that's the training pressure that's there every day. And when you're in that environment, you can't help but either get better or get run over. So it's a, it's a very cool thing to look at and see what professionalism happens, how it happens elsewhere. And, and can we learn from that and, and absorb, absorb lessons? Yeah. A topic for another day, but yeah. it touches on the point of participation trophies aren't really a thing at those levels over there. And it's quite unfortunate that the story that's told here in the States is that winning doesn't matter overseas. And it's all about individual player development as if both things are mutually exclusive because that is as much as people might want to say, that's not what they're saying. That is what they're saying here in the States. That's the narrative that they crafted is that winning does not matter. The clubs over there don't care about that. They only care about developing the individual. No, they do both. And their objective is both. You win and you develop the individual. If you do not win, you're in big fucking trouble, coach. You're in big trouble. Decision makers who hire that coach, you people are getting fired. Okay. At the youth level, I don't care if it's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, you better fucking win. Okay. People here don't understand that. And they get little snippets from interviews or the media that are totally devoid of the proper context and they run with it because here in the States, they want participation trophies here in the States. They want everything to be soft here in the States. They don't want competition. They don't want the kids to compete. They say there's too much pressure on the kids here in the States. This goes to bigger societal questions, cultural questions. But it's quite important, and I think you've been exposed to it, Terry, at least from what you've just mentioned. They care about fucking winning. Could you imagine if your son's team goes over there and whoops on some ass at the PSG B team? Do you know what kind of a fucking problem whoever's in charge of that B team over there would be in if that were to happen? Oh, he's dreading going to work the next day. Big problems, okay? Because winning still is a proxy for development in a certain regard. It's not a complete correlation. Yeah. Whether if you're doing great development, you're winning, but there is something there. Okay. And if you do not win, such as the game that I just mentioned, then there is a problem here with development at PSG's BT, because you should be able to beat your son's team. You should at at, at Atletico Madrid. You should be able to dominate Terry Ransbury's son's team. I'm just being real. Yeah. And I if you don't, totally agree. if you don't, there are going to be questions asked of you and you might not have a job the next day. That's right. You've shamed the club. Um, it's, it's, it would be a big deal. And they're, I hear sometimes they're a little nervous about where they enter their teams in tournaments because they don't like to lose to teams they shouldn't lose to. And it's a, it's the game, you know, that we know where the best team wins seven out of 10 of the head-to-head matches or eight or nine, but rarely do they win 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. just the nature of football. And you get that thing. But I was going to say to you, the winning and the player development, it's part of their virtuous cycle. Yes. And you get that because you're, you're training with intensity. Your intensity goes up. Your quality of coaching goes up. You win and you win, you're. You track better players up, up, and there's your cycle. And it's, uh, it's exactly what you're saying. And it's just, it's not surprising if you, again, take in the little bigger picture of, of that and, and put it into the context that they're living day to day. And, you know, and then to anticipate a negative uh, response to this and somebody mm-hmm. saying, well, you're taking all the fun out of the game for the kids. All right. T- give me a little bit about that. Yeah. Well. Okay. Uh, so first off it's a game and the game is one where there is a winner and there is a loser. Okay. Ignore draws right now, but the objective of the game is to win the game. That is the whole point of the game. When you are playing cards with somebody and it could be with children, 
everybody's trying to win the game. When your child is playing a game on the iPad or whatever it might be, they are trying to win at the game. I don't understand this demonization of the game. So listen, if your child um, is compelled to quit when they're not winning the game a sufficient amount of times, then there's no problem with that. Maybe they, this is not the game for them, right? If you want to become very good at a game, you have to accept failure like all of us do. And part of becoming a winner and very good at something is going through the failure process and failing repeatedly and overcoming that and eventually getting up sufficiently on the learning curve where you are now maybe winning more than you're losing or winning to the point where you don't feel defeated or so defeated that you are quitting. You just need to see market improvements maybe so that the human being says, oh, you know what? Things are getting better here. I'm going to keep going. But if we want to insulate kids or anybody from competition, I think there's more harm than good there. I, I just don't understand fully this culture of insulating everybody from competition. Yeah, because outside of soccer, inside of soccer, it's, it's there. Did You're going to have to deal in. Did you see these reports? I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you see those re reports that have been coming out recently about the school system wanting to get rid of advanced programs in the schools? Because, oh, if we have advanced programs and like we're, it's almost, they have like a discrimination angle to it. It's like, oh, then we're discriminating between kids and we're advancing kids and leaving others behind. I don't know the full picture. I just saw how it was being applied to mathematics specifically, and they don't want to have advanced mathematics programs in, in schools anymore, which is fucking ludicrous to me. So what do you do with children or people or kids or whatever that have a knack for math for whatever reason, maybe their parents were scientists and they got, you know, a leg up in their environment at home and became very math competent or in the early ages, and they want to continue that path and maybe become mathematicians, physicists, engineers, uh, technologists, whatever the case may be, you are telling them that that is not a good thing. You're telling them, sorry, we can't have you in advanced classes. We can't offer advanced classes to you. You have to be in with everybody else who has three Sigma, uh, competency lower in mathematics than you. And you have to be stuck instead of doing abstract algebra or topology or differential geometry, you have to be, you're stuck doing, I don't know, arithmetic with, with your age appropriate classmates. What on earth are we fucking doing? All right. So I'm in the school business, so I know this and you're just seeing the last of many articles. Now math creating a diversity that they don't want. AP classes, very frowned upon now. Honors classes, we don't call them honors classes. You can't, now our, it's my school, we're private. We are a little old school and we're going to stay that way or I will flush the thing. Um, what else? Uh, they've s seen a huge rise in D's and F scores lately and they want to eliminate those. So it's, I think it's insane. I understand a little bit about, uh, you know, trying to build up the student that just doesn't do as well, but not at the expense of the, at the student that's excelling and who can contribute to society at a higher level. And why would we want that not to happen? It's crazy, but it's happening. And you're getting, you know, the automatic graduation. It started with that a while back where if you just find the door to the school, you're going to graduate. You can't read, you can't write, but you get the diploma anyways, because we can't have you suffer the consequence of what I would call reality, not just failure. Crazy. It's unconscionable. So I'm not surprised. It is, it is a disservice to the, to the kid. That's both kids. It's a disservice to falsely prop up an individual to, to set them up for a train wreck that's going to happen eventually anyways. Uh, and it's, you're making it worse. 
because the train wreck's only going to get worse when somebody thinks that they're capable and they're, and they get a huge disappointment that they don't really deserve. And it's all not, you know, it's not their fault. They've just been set up for a slap town and it's a disservice to, you know, put friction on, on a kid that wants to study math or extra music or whatever. It doesn't have to be football. It's whenever and that, that, uh, we'll, we'll pay the price from society soon if we're not doing it already. I, don't, I haven't looked at that. Yeah. But, we're, we're not yeah. going to dive into China's rise and, and how they're not doing, I, I don't subscribe to China's, uh, politics, right. And their, their method of governance, but rest assured, if there is a nation that puts a cap on what the next generation is capable of doing with respect to STEM in this case, puts a cap, puts a literal cap on how far you can go in the education system, rest assured you're in big trouble in five, 10, 15 years down the road. That generation is part of the workforce and they weren't allowed to become the next Elon Musk's or the next, uh, Richard Feynman's or the next, you know, you name technologist, scientist, engineer, whatever, like who are going to be the builders? Who are going to be the builders, Terry? We're not going to have any builders anymore. Um, and anyways, this was kind of like a little tangent, but it's totally relevant to our chat with respect to allowing winners and losers in sport at the youth level, even. Oh, everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. You're all the same. Oh, good try. Oh, like, oh, why did you go up and run up the score to be at eight zero? You guys, you, your coach should have said at four zero. Okay. Everybody take it easy. Chill out. Don't do any more. Like, what are we doing here? All right. What else, Ter? Uh, we've done an hour here. I'd say we should stick and, and, uh, end, uh, because of the editing burden. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And, uh, we'll resume with, I thought this was good. This cycle thing was was good. We can, I think we'll prune some stuff out, but I think the content was relevant and, uh, and it's, it's something parents and players should understand and be aware of so that they can intervene and help themselves. Yeah. No question. We still have to figure out a solution to help them make good interventions. Cause I think the, like how you said, there's a lot of, uh, parents who are club hoppers, um, yep. and parents who don't hop at all and everything in between. And I think they're all trying to do the best they can with the information that they acquired. Um, they, there's Ooh. just, just no solution. You know, they're, they're trying to figure it out. Yeah. I'd, I like that, uh, possibility of a, a pro rel situation where some smart coach aggregates talent because now he's got, or she's got a path to, uh, showcase that and get rewarded for aggregating that talent, which is not easy. And that would be great incentive to do that. And there were, there are plenty of people who would do that and do it well. And then you would have a new team. And then yeah. the other thing we won't go into it is that the pressure that the clubs put on parents to toe the line yeah. and the threat of being put off the first team or no playing time, your scholarship is gone. Oh my God. It's, I watch that and I just think, oh, these poor parents. And they're, they're told not to do this, not to seek outside train. You can't travel to internationally without our approval. I'm just reading a list of what yeah. I know yeah. locally. And it's such bullshit yeah. and, and bad for so many things. And maybe uh, make a note of that, Terry, we should talk about that because that sort of stuff also happens at the pro level where players are under this umbrella of implicit threat. That if they don't do X, Y, or Z, and I'm not talking about their obligations, which is train, perform on the weekends. I'm not talking, it goes beyond that, that if they don't do X, Y, or Z outside of their contractual obligations, they, the club can torpedo you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One last thing. Yeah. I just wanted to squeeze this in here since we're talking about those cycles. Um, sure. we talked about the player on the coach front. I'll just say one, one brief thing of a virtuous cycle for a coach. If you find yourself with a strong roster, and that usually happens at these big mega clubs, if we're talking youth, okay, but we can talk about pro as well. If we're talking youth, you're at a big mega club, 
you are granted maybe the A team of a particular age group. So that's a great roster to have. You're basically going to win the majority of your games quite comfortably, whether you are a competent coach or an incompetent coach. And since you win so much, there is recruiting power there, not just because of the club brand, but because your particular team was a winning team. So for next season, you recruit well, and then around and around you go. Now you have a strong roster again, or a stronger roster. You win, win more, you recruit again for next season and round and round you go. And lo and behold, the coach and their, um, I'm looking for the right word here. The aura around that coach is that they are a great coach and that might not necessarily be true. In fact, I would argue that generally that is not true. And it's kind of the exceptions to the rule that you are a phenomenal coach, just like any distribution, Terry, there are people who are exceptional mm -hmm. doctors. Then there's the broad bell curve of you're an average Joe Schmo doctor. And then there are doctors who are like, how the fuck are you a doctor? Oh my God, you're endangering people's lives, you know? And just because you got a degree does not mean that you are a competent doctor or a competent lawyer or in this case of a soccer coach, or just because you have an A license here in the United States, doesn't mean shit. Okay. Okay. That's all. Brilliant, Terry. Have a good night, hey. man. Thank you. Hi, right, you too. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches, you can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level, and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. And if you're interested in a solution that blends both academics and soccer, my co-host Terry in this episode founded the Accelerator Schools. There's even the opportunity to do this in Europe as well. To learn more, visit acceleratorschool.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.